Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, once upon a time, there was a world where the thrill of speed and the spirit of competition were just beginning to take root. Every day, engineers and drivers would push the boundaries of what was possible, crafting machines that could go faster, endure longer, until one day, the year 1923. The inaugural Grand Prix of Endurance took place. This was no ordinary race. It was a 24-hour test of man and machine held in the town of Le Mans in France. The race was a spectacle with 20 manufacturers entering all from France aside from a single Bentley from Great Britain and a pair of Excelsiors from Belgium. And because of that the world took notice. The race was not just about speed, but about endurance, about reliability, and it marked the beginning of a tradition that continues to this day, 100 years later. A testament to the enduring spirit of competition and the relentless pursuit of speed. Let's fast forward 100 years, 1923 to 2023, and the centenary running of the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and welcome to the podcast. With everything you need to know, to make the most of, to enjoy the race of the century this Saturday. To tell us everything we need to know, our man at the track, on site, is Gary Watkins. How are you doing? Not too bad. It's quite hot here. We seem to get extreme weather conditions sometimes here. And, uh, and you know, it sort of was 28 degrees yesterday on the Monday, just a little bit cooler for the test day on Sunday. And I'm told the temperatures are just edging up ever so slightly through towards the race this weekend. You should never uh, underestimate the effect of the weather and temperatures on, on a motor race. Certainly not a 24-hour motor race. There's something to keep an eye on there. So 1923 to 2023, the centenary running, the 91st running of the race. So where did we miss? So why are we nine short? The World War, of course. Also general strikes for one year in the 30s. Full marks to the sort of local authorities and the ACO for running the race in 2020 during COVID when Mm. it did look doubtful for some time. But that continued uh, the great tradition that we have here. 
Well, it's a unique format, uh, not unique in the world, but it's it's a format that so few racing fans dedicate the time to watch and unique challenges for the teams and drivers as well. As we head into Le Mans this weekend, just what are the teams and drivers facing at this stage of the week as they prepare for 24 hours of racing? Perhaps what's unique about this one is that it takes place on a circuit measuring eight and a half miles. Much of those eight and a half miles are public roads. Today, there'll be cars running on them it's not quite like the old days when the mole sand straight that four mile drag used to be the main highway big trucks rumbling down that road almost putting sort of grooves in the track that would upset the cars and make it very difficult to sort of move from side to side uh, along with the crown in the road so that that's gone Le Mans is a bit of a smoother track than perhaps it once was but I would uh, pick you up and say yes it is unique in terms of <laughs> the challenge just because there's no other circuit in the world like it and it, as, as you rightly said earlier on it's a, it's a test of man and machine a bit of a cliche but I think that's true as a pale faced Englishman I was just chatting to some of the drivers <laughs> yesterday and saying how I was struggling in the heat and I said I'm sorry to say that because uh, you're the ones who have to do perhaps a quadruple stint in a car maybe up to four hours which is the maximum you can spend in the car at one time I, I said I'm sorry to whinge that I'm hot because you're the ones who are going to have it difficult come come the weekend so that's a challenge you know a hotter race puts more pressure on the car it changes the way you use the tires you know there are three different specifications of slick tires what you use is obviously matched to the conditions uh, and it's about judging the conditions and working out what the quickest tire is for those conditions so the weather plays a role and reliability, obviously, you know, a hotter race, it's harder to get a, fr- a car through a hot race than it is a cold race, generally. And and where it sits in the calendar, of course, Le Mans is part of this year's uh, FIA World Endurance Championship calendar, much like other standout events, like Monaco is part of Formula One, like the Indy 500 is part of the IndyCar calendar. But Le Mans is different because so many fans won't sit, won't have sat down and watched Sebring and Portimao and Spa, which we've had already in the calendar so far. Many fans, of course, will have done, but but lots of people come just for this one event. And this is a different event that it sits within a wider calendar, but it also sits on its own more than other standout events. Well, what we shouldn't forget was that for many years, uh, Le Mans, back in its formative years before the war, uh, was a standalone race. There was no World Sports Car Championship, as you, as we might generically call it, what we now call the World Endurance Championship. That started in 1953. Between that time and 1992, Le Mans, probably more often than not, was on the calendar. It sort of pinged on, on and off, partly because there was always a bit of bad blood between the FIA and the ACO who run Le Mans. Obviously, the World Endurance Championship as we know it today was, was reborn in 2012, very much with the ACO at its forefront. They are the promoter of the series and the joint rulemaker. Well, I think we should we mm-hmm. should stress that. They are at the heart of the World Endurance Championship today. But... I guess we can say that the importance of this race compared to Portimao, Spa, Silverstone, when it used to come, when the WEC used to come to Silverstone, it's because of history as well as the importance of the race. I think you would say in the context of the World Endurance Championship that Le Mans far outstrips the other races 
by a greater degree than Monaco outstrips the other Formula race, Formula One races. I think I think we can say that, and and by some margin, <laughs> by some margin. And then what's so fascinating about watching Le Mans this year? is the hypercar class because there's so many different ways of going racing. It's complicated. And sometimes <laughs> of sports, course it's complicated. And sometimes so th- sports car racing is its worst, own worst enemy. It can be. Uh, yeah. in, not only in the style of the racing, because obviously clearly endurance racing is more difficult to follow than a sprint race, but also in, in the rules. As we stand at the moment, the top class of the WEC is called hypercar. There are two ways into that uh, mm-hmm. one is to build a car called a Le Mans hypercar now the Toyota GR010 hybrid that we've seen racing uh, since 2021 that is a Le Mans hypercar so that is a, a Toyota through and through they develop the whole car obviously they've got technical partners building building stuff but that's that's a Toyota in the same way as the Ferrari is they are in charge of everything. And both of those, they've they've chosen to do V6 engines and three litre in the Ferrari and three and a half litre in the Toyota. So already we're starting to see different ways of building yes. the technology, unlike other series that have. And, and there are certainly classes within Le Mans this weekend that do use a spec engine, but for hypercar, lots of different solutions. That's what makes it so fascinating to watch. Already two different engine capacities, but there's more. Fill us in. The second way in is LMDH. Now that was a category that was announced after sort of LMH was already in the works. Uh, So that was announced at Daytona in 2020 and it was seen as a sort of historic announcement, a sort of people use the term convergence. The rules of the WEC and the rules of the uh, IMSA Sports Car Championship in North America coming together. So that's the second way in. Now what you do there is you have to work with one of the four licensed LMP2 constructors and they basically provide what is called the spine of the car so that's your monocoque your suspension more or less everything except the bodywork and the internal combustion engine I was going to say engine but that would be incorrect because the LMDH is a hybrid and the hybrid system is a rear axle hybrid system and it and it it's provided it's a spec system basically so there are three partners who are William Advanced Engineering for the battery Bosch for the motor generator unit and Extract for the gearbox so that's different to a Le Mans hypercar where the manufacturers develop their own hybrid technology. And there's a second difference. A Le Mans hypercar hybrid has, the hybrid system has to work on the front axle. The LMDH hybrid system is rear axle. That's in straight away another difference. Then the third way in, which is for a non-hybrid LMH. You can't have a non-hybrid LMDH, but you can have a non-hybrid LMH. And that's the route taken who are by the people I call the garageists, Glickenhaus, the American entrance, and Van Wall, uh, the sort of former college team that is now running under the, the Van Wall name. So they have cars that are just two-wheel drive, uh, but they are LMH cars. And so it's great because this class has everything from two and a half litre or 2.6 litre 
uh, turbo V6s in the Peugeot, right up to five and a half litre Cadillacs that sound like the cars physically sound different. They're engineered so differently to watching other top series of racing. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited about watching Le Mans this year, watching the hypercar class this year, is because in so many formulas of racing, so much is locked down and you're talking about these tiny little differences. But there's actually some really interesting engineering huge differences uh, to to watch out for. So I'd like to point out that Cadillac is normally aspirated where every en- every other engine is turbo. So that's why we've got a great noise. And I think it's, it's brilliant that we have different engine solutions. I, I would personally love that we love it if we had a few more normally aspirated engines just to give us a bit of... Uh, you know that 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 sort of sensation when we stand by the track but there it is you know we have it's majority majority of turbos which is down to efficiency i know we're not going to see a screaming v12 anymore but uh, the diversity of sounds is something i've always loved about uh, sports car racing Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Well, you've got the LMP2 class using those uh, those Gibson V8s and then the LM GTE AM class with lots of different solutions with Ferraris and Astons and Chevys and Porsches all going racing as well. So th- look, we're really looking forward to, oh man, it's like it's this stage of the week when there's so much anticipation and build up. What we don't expect is not a wholesale rules change, but something which happens not in collaboration with the manufacturers and the designers, something which comes, I think many people would say, out of the blue. This was a huge story online at autosport.com. Tell us about what's happened with the balance of performance changes just days before the event. Well, the balance of performance is the way they sort of create a level playing field, and it's, it's very much at the heart of the new formula. So it's basically so it's a cost-saving measure, so you don't... It's basically created a non-development formula. So you build your car and then it's balanced so it doesn't become a sort of uh, 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 an arms race, if you like. There's a new balance of performance system that was put in place for this year that more or less set the balance right up into Le Mans and including Le Mans. The idea of that was to sort of remove sandbagging the potential for sandbagging people hiding their performance to get a favorable BOP for what let's face it is the race that matters so they put this uh, new system in, in place and there was only a little bit of scope for change and that was in the balance between LMH and LMDH the rulemakers the FIA and the ACO again realized that these the two platforms were, were quite different and they might need a little bit of tweaking but the, the BOP, as it was sort of set pre-Sebring, and it was based on simulation this year rather than 
uh, lap time data as in as in the past it was really set in stone until the day after Le Mans. Last Wednesday, the manufacturers went on to a sort of a Zoom call. The ACO and the FAA, specifically Pierre Fion, president of the ACO, and his sort of opposite number at the FIA uh, Endurance Commission, Richard Mill, basically told the manufacturers, we're changing the BOP. You've got to live with it. They weren't even told what was happening. There was no discussion later that day the new BOP came out those of you who've been following the WEC this year will know that Toyota have pretty much dominated you know they've won all three races they won by two laps at Sebring over eight hours they won by a lap at Portimao over six hours and they only won by a minute at Spa uh, over uh, in another six hour race but that was a difficult one to judge because there were four safety cars. It started sort of in a, on a damp track in a bit of drizzle. There were also f- uh, three false course yellows. But, but what we can say is that Toyota have dominated. Under the scope of the BOP, there was no way of pegging them back. So basically, the rulemakers have unilaterally decided to shuffle the pack, really. So what's happened is Toyota have got an increase in minimum weight of 37 kilos ferrari who were pretty much second in the pecking order you know they were on the podium every time so far with their beautiful new 499p so they've got 24 kilograms cadillac who were definitely third in the pecking order and might have didn't quite beat ferrari to a podium any time but they were in in a shout in with a shout at each of the three races they've got 11 kilos the final uh increase in minimum weight is three kilograms for the Porsche and you know Porsche have had a podium ultimately haven't looked that good with their 963 LMDH so they've got the three kilograms everyone else and that means Peugeot who have clearly have been struggling with their wingless 9x8 and then the the, the minnows if you like Flickenhaus and Van Wall no weight as well it's shuffled the pack certainly sort of closed it up we've just had the Le Mans test day so I guess you want to ask me about actually what happened there and and what does it mean for the week going forward and what starting Wednesday when when track action proper starts with free practice and then first qualifying in the evening absolutely so you were there you've seen practice this was that followed the BOP changes so everyone was getting together for the first time in the same place to discuss these changes of rules that could, as you say, shuffle the pack. Yeah, I don't want to use the phrase that the rulemakers are playing God because they already were. Like that was the point of the balance of performance was to shuffle the pack, but to do it 10 days ahead of the event, to take people surprise by surprise with no consultation to come out of nowhere. But then again, I guess if you do start consulting teams, it gets political. Everyone's going to argue for their own, obviously argue for their own position, naturally. Then everyone's getting together for the first time. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what you saw in the test day. And particularly, uh, I saw some some headlines coming through from what you were filing, which was Ferrari's impressive performance. Uh, fill us in. Ferrari were quickest in both sessions. Taking out the fact that they are now 24 kilograms uh, heavier than before, we, I, I don't think we would have, would have been surprised that they were quickest because they've shown one lap pace very much from the beginning. Antonio Fuoco put it on pole at Spa first time out, which shocked a lot of people at Spa. Antonio Giovinazzi put it on pole, but then lost the pole because he had a track limits infringement. So we know the 
the car has good one lap pace. How much does it, 24 kilos has affected it? We don't know yet. And they probably, whether they know, uh, I don't know, but they're, they're certainly not telling us. But yeah, so that's still impressive that they've got that one lap pace that we, we knew they had. The task for them is to, is to turn that into consistent race pace, which they certainly didn't have at Sebring, had a little bit more at Portimao at the beginning of April, probably had very, very consistent race pace, especially over the second half of the race at Spa. Although that's a, a difficult one to judge because of the conditions that I was talking about earlier. And it's really interesting how Ferrari haven't had that those outright headlines so far this season they've not had the big win they've been a, a long way off Toyota as you say but listening to you reading your your reports and listening to you talk about it it's you kind of had to read between the lines a little bit with Ferrari because they were getting there and has this balance of performance change given them just that little edge that they need to really take it to Toyota do you think potentially I think yes I think it, it, it's significant crucial I guess we're going to have to wait to see if we can use that word but clearly they were behind Toyota but making gains all the time they're now running that much lighter than Toyota that's given them a helping hand hasn't it there's the number 50 car and the 51 car two Italian entries by Ferrari back in the top class of sports car racing at Le Mans it's so exciting is there is there one one of those two cars and driver lineups that you are particularly going to keep your eye on or do you think they're equally as strong tell us about the driver lineups there at Ferrari no, I think they're I think they're great. So we've got we've got James Collado, Alessandro Piguidi in one car. That's the fifty one, which is the the number they always ran in GTE Pro, and they've been joined by ex Formula One driver Antonio Giovinazzi. I think that's a very good lineup. <laughs> Not bad, is uh, it? <laughs> the, the other lineup has got Antonio Fuoco, who made the headlines at Sebring. He he looks like a real star. Uh, Nicholas Nielsen uh, and Miguel Molina are the other drivers. I've been very impressed with Nicholas Nielsen since he arrived on the scene in WEC, first driving in GTE and then moving into P2 as a bit of a lead into this this program. I think he's a top, top driver. They're both strong lineups, you know. Do, do I, I wouldn't favour one over the other, to be honest. And in terms of driver lineups, the driver lineups at Toyota. They're not too bad either in the seven car and the eight car. Mike Conway, Camille Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez. And then in the other car, Sebastian Boemi, Brendan Hartley and Rio Hirakawa. So two incredible lineups there. So strong in terms of driver lineups. How much do you think Toyota will be worried going into this weekend with these balance of performance changes, with the strong Ferrari pace test day and then we've got some more track action obviously to see this week but do you think that there's some worry at Toyota? I think there is some worry is there any disconnect between what they're saying in public and what they're saying you know in the engineering room Kobayashi who is also team principal of uh, Toyota Kazoo Racing basically said after the test day we're in a tough situation in terms of performance then they ended up uh, fifth in the first session, third in the second session. They were over a second off in the first session, only three temps in the second session after Kobayashi made uh, quite a late improvement. Then I spoke to Pascal Vassalon, who is the technical director. How was your test? Well, not our best day at the office kind of thing. <laughs> and then asked to sort of expand on that. He said, just look at the lap times and I'll show you, and I'm sure you'll have an idea. And he sort of said, well, it's not a surprise to us. You know, they don't talk about the BOP. That's 
it's actually banned in the sporting regulations talking about the BOP so people are not going to come out and slag it off basically and saying it's not fair we did have a sort of little bit of that in the run-up to spa a bit of sort of saber rattling uh politicking if you like people appear to have got away with it but we are in that situation but certainly I think the manufacturers have been reminded of that clause in the sporting regulations. We're not going to see a lot of talk about the BOP uh, this week. But clearly, Toyota have lost something. You know, that's 37 kilos. It's a massive hit. They're actually running 10 kilos heavier than they were last year. And it's sort of difficult to sort of talk about the BOP then and the BOP now, because obviously last year it was really Toyota against a small team in Glickenhaus and the Alpine, which was an old style LMP1 car grandfathered uh, to race here in hypercar. Uh, So it's sort of difficult to make comparisons, but they are heavier than last year and they've got a lot more opposition this year. So clearly there's, it does seem that there's some worry. The, The second sort of worry for them is that the number eight car, that was driven by uh, Brendan Hartley and Rio Hirakawa. Sebastian Buemi wasn't here because he was racing in Formula E in uh, Jakarta. That was a little bit off the pace of the other car, and they were sort of slightly at a loss to uh, explain why. There seems to be a bit of worry in the Toyota camp. I think we can say that. So the Porsche 963, what do you think of that? Well, it's an LMDH, just in case we haven't said that already. It sort of had a bit of a struggle. It was the first LMDH to start running all the way back in January of last year. Hasn't looked truly competitive either here in WEC or in IMSA. Has won a race in IMSA. But certainly I wouldn't say it's looked like a brilliant, coherent racing car, especially especially on this side of the pond. They've done quite a bit of testing since Spa. They've also had a race in America with their with the sort of US side of what is effectively a twin program run by uh, Penske. And it, it looks to me as though they've made some genuine progress. Now, they were second in the times in the afternoon, although actually the Jota team that runs uh, a customer 963 uh, was actually third fastest in the morning and I thought that was very impressive for a team that only got their car at the end of April the week of the spa six hours so that was impressive but what we need to say is that the fastest time over the course of six hours of running at the test day on Sunday was actually set by a Porsche the fact that he that the time was scrubbed out because Lawrence Van Tor who set the time went uh, four wheels off on the exit of Turt Rouge uh, at the top of the circuit. So it was was scrubbed out, so he lost it. But his next best time was good enough for second. That shows that Porsche have made some progress. And I'm now sort of thinking, hmm, Porsche could be a contender for their 20th win. And they've got three factory cars on the grid run by Penske, as well as the customer car. I was ruling out Porsche, a handful of days ago but now I'm thinking hmm could Porsche do it now one lap is one lap isn't it you know and, and we know consistency has been a problem for that car I'm not now excluding Porsche having a having a shot at this another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help for your financial to-dos Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. That's incredible. That just builds the excitement even more. You wouldn't put anything past uh, Penske as a team to run a professional outfit. Uh, one Jota car running, but still, it just takes that one car uh, to cause what would be, uh, if not an upset in terms of the order. Well, again, it would be an upset in terms of what we've seen so far in terms of the established order. In terms of what we've seen so far in the WEC, yeah, it would be an upset. Uh, wow. I mean, uh, we would, certainly, as I said, yeah, we'd have labelled it an upset uh, a week ago. Would we, uh, you know, maybe come the weekend, we, we won't be calling it an upset because, you know, they've been strong through practice and qualifying. And I think Porsche are, are, are not out of it. That, I think that covers off the hypercar class really nicely. Obviously, we can't cover off all of LMP2, and there's no need to um, either. With their spec engines, uh, the teams running these cars are very familiar team names to many people. The Premers, the Uniteds, the Jotas, the Alpines of the world, and more as well. Are there any teams or driver lineups in LMP2 that you just think our listeners should keep an eye on on the timing screens and the ones that you're going to be keeping an eye on, maybe in particular? Well, actually, Cool Racing were quickest in the first session here. That was quite interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we should we should probably expect the winner to come from one of the grandees, which which for me means United Jota. Of course, Jota only have one car this year because they're running uh, the Porsche in hypercar. Also WRT champions in 2021 and winners here at Le Mans in 2021. Those are the big teams who I would sort of look to for victory. Uh, I mentioned Cool there, who topped the times in the first session. That's actually a team run by uh, Nicolas Lapierre, who obviously uh, a former um, Toyota driver and winner in in the WEC, and also uh, raced with Alpine uh, most recently, and was a was a race winner. Then the Edex Sport team, who like Cool are a regular in the European Le Mans series rather than in in the WEC. They they were second. So yeah, you know. Perhaps in qualifying, we see some of the the smaller teams, less fancy teams, sort of do something. But come the race, you just look at the the lineups in in those the teams we were talking about earlier, and you just think mm, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah, some of the drivers that they've paired together, but a driver of every. That's the great thing as well about a race that this big. Whether it's a team that you're following under a certain flag, or a driver from a certain nationality, or Everyone is represented. Well, some aren't, unless you're uh, Daniel Kivat, in which case you're not racing under any particular flag at all. Uh, but otherwise, there's every nationality and flag you could be supporting. There's just something for everyone. Now, I made a mistake at the beginning when I said there were many three different classes that you should be looking out for, Hypercar and LMP2 and LMGTE. Am. There is another one which is getting its, I would say, unfair share of attention, maybe in the British press because of Jensen Button being one of the three drivers alongside Jimmy Johnson and Mike Rockefeller. What is this NASCAR innovative car class, this Hendrick Motorsports car that at the minute I keep seeing mentioned everywhere? Well, Le Mans has uh, a history of... Um technical innovation if you go back to the early days you know with headlights in the early days of the race uh the cars had to run up with run 
with their hoods up for the opening laps of the race. Think about the gas turbine BRMs of the 60s. You know, then, you know, much more recently, diesel, turbo diesel pioneered by Audi and then, then, uh, then Peugeot. And of course, then we're into the hybrid era. So there is a very much a, a history of, of Le Mans being a sort of a technical proving ground. Now, 10 years ago, uh, Le Mans introduced something called the Garage 56 entry, which was basically an additional entry. And the number 56 uh, was arrived at because in those days we had uh, 55 cars starting the race, which was a sort of traditional number for Le Mans. Now we have 62, but the sort of the Garage 56 name has sort of uh, continued, although not officially. Officially, it's called the innovative car. But it's, 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 it's a spot for a bit of an outlier. Is the NASCAR particularly innovative? No, because it's a, it's a modified NASCAR Cup car uh, that's running in that class. And it's to celebrate. I suppose we need to look at the history. In 1976, Jim France, the current boss of NASCAR, his father, Bill France, basically brought two NASCARs to Le Mans to sort of uh, showcase NASCAR in Europe at a time when, you know, there wasn't wall-to-wall live television of of motor racing and probably NASCAR wasn't very well known. And so two cars came over, competed in the race, neither finished. But, But basically that's being recreated as NASCAR is moving into a new era with its uh, next-gen chassis. So it's the next-gen chassis that's sort of been significantly but not overly modified for for endurance racing and for Le Mans. So you'll still see NAS- so you'll still still see the drivers getting in and out of the car through the window at pit stops and you'll still see trolley jacks in the pits uh, for the wheel changes. But it, it has lights, for example. It has a diffuser to give it lots of downforce. It has uh, carbon brakes, a lot more gizmos on it than a uh, standard car. It has paddle shift, not, um, not a, a, a gear lever. It's been quite modified and they've got a lot of weight out of it, which is an, an important thing uh, to make. So it's basically about showing, showcasing, I should say, NASCAR in Europe. And they've got some great drivers to do it. You know, Jimmy Johnson, a NASCAR legend, recently retired from full-time racing after his sort of uh, his little dalliance in IndyCar. Then we've got a Formula One world champion in Jensen Button, who's a bit of a mate of uh, Jimmy Johnson and, of course, has raced here with the SMP racing team. And then we've got Mike Rockenfeller, of course, a winner here with Audi in 2010. A bit of an all-rounder, great sports car driver who's won uh, a, lot of, a lot of races. And he's sort of been the lead development driver on that car, really. So, yeah, they've got some great names to promote it, sort of from different realms. It's about spreading the gospel of NASCAR, <laughs> as it was back in 1976. Yeah, 75 years of NASCAR this year with the... Yes, a good point. Yes, the anniv- it's another, it's the, the year of anniversaries, isn't it? Yeah. The centenary Le Mans, 75 years of NASCAR, 50 years that Ferrari were away with a, uh, a prototype factory campaign. So, yeah, it's a, gra- it's a great year of anniversaries. And of course, it's my 33rd Le Mans. Which the most isn't important anniversary, number. of course. 
isn't a round number, but uh, I, I like this, the fact that it's 33, which, uh, yeah, there's a name for that, isn't there? It's certainly in, in cricket, umpires stand on one leg and things like that when uh, batsmen are on, on uh, double digit scores. You are up. You are up at bat this weekend for us once again. All the coverage on autosport.com. When I saw you a couple of weeks ago when we caught up at Brands Hatch, you said even after 33 visits, you get a little bit nervous in the lead up to the event, which I think is amazing because you've done, you know how to do this, right? You, this is not your first rodeo, but even you get a little bit nervous. How come? I, if, if I'm standing at Paddock Hill for a Formula Ford race, you know, to watch a Formula Ford race or a club race of any type, you know, I get a bit of, I get a little bit of butterflies in my stomach. I think even, even listening to a Formula One race on li- Radio 5 Live, in the car driving somewhere it's that sense of expectation obviously you know when you've been at a circuit for a week as I would have been when the race starts at four o'clock on Saturday and when you've been so involved in it not only while you've been at the track but you know in the weeks leading up to it you know I've been living and breathing Le Mans and writing thousands upon thousands of words you know it gets in your blood and you know I think there'd be something wrong with you if you didn't get a bit sort of (laughs) excited and or anxious but also because you're a racer as well and as our chief editor kevin turner told me recently was quite a handy racer as well but he says gary doesn't like to talk about it too much so i won't i won't push you on that i'm lapsed rather than retired and uh, i will have a go at some point yes. again but you know i just love being at race circuits and I like driving cars as quickly as I can, which maybe not ultimately that quickly, but... Well, yeah, as Kev pointed out, he was pretty good, you know. So, all right, well, look, on that bombshell, let's uh, let's leave it there. Uh, make sure you stay tuned to autosport.com for everything that Gary is writing. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this, this preview podcast. Stay tuned for qualifying. And, of course, this weekend, 4 p.m. on Saturday, is when to be uh, tuned in for, as they say, the race of... The century, or the race of a century. I forget how they're bullying it. But either way, the century, then centenary running for the 24 hours of Le Mans. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one. Sports Social Podcast Network.